0: Welcome to Shotgun Sports USA. I'm your host, Justin Barker, and I talk to shotgun shooters from all over the world in every discipline, as well as coaches, gun clubs, target setters, vendors, and industry-leading companies that fuel the sport. Check us out online at shotgunsportsusa.com, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram. Shotgun Sports USA is powered by Winchester Ammunition, the American legend. Also brought to you by Ultimate Shooting Accessories, Rick Hemingway's Promatic Trap Sales, Sound Gear Phantom, Comp and Choke, Clay Shooter Supply, Clay Target Vision, and Coal Gunsmithing. My guest on the show is one of the guys who brings the sport to life through photo and video. He has traveled around the world capturing a lot of what you see online and in print advertising. His work outside of Clay Target Sports has been showcased on some of the largest networks we all watch today. He also has an idea for a way to bring Clay Target shooting back to TV. He talks about how to make it interesting, profitable, and fun, not just for the pro shooters, but for everyone. Please welcome to the show, Thaddeus Bedford. Thaddeus, welcome to the show.
1: Dustin, good to talk to you. It, uh, it's good to be here.
0: Yeah, I'm actually surprised you had a break to come on with me. Every time I talk to you, I don't care where it's at, it seems you're always somewhere doing something.
1: Yes, I, uh, I have a propensity for being on the road. I'm, I'm kind of a, a road junkie. Um, I, I spend, uh, my goodness, the past 10 years have been a whirlwind. 54 countries in, in 10 years has been a lot.
0: Fifty four countries. That is amazing.
1: Fifty four countries in 10 years. It's been it's been nonstop, you know, road dog. it. Um, it's uh, you know, I, I, it's been fantastic. Don't get me wrong, but I get years like this one after I've been on the road a lot. And I, you know, I think last year and the year before were busy travel years. And this year's been like I, I haven't had a year like like this year ever. Um I, I've been home since since April fifteenth. I've been home no more than four days at a time um between trips. And so I've been home right now for a week and a half or a week, somewhere around there from the Grand American, and that's the longest time frame I've been in my home all summer long. Wow. So yeah, it's been it's been crazy. Um it's been good, but just I don't like and normally I like to be home for a week or two and then be gone again. Yeah. This this whole thing with being gone for that long at one time is is insanity.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, any of you listening out there, uh, if you've been to a larger tournament, a regional, national event, world event, in any discipline for that matter, there's a good possibility that you've seen this guy somewhere on the property, and that's how I met you, Thaddeus. Is you know, after talking to you for years uh, at these shoots, I mean, I just figured you know, let's get together and do one of these things, and and what you do for the clay target shooting industry is something that you started later on in your career from what i understand is that right
1: yes that's true i yeah. uh, I, I spent i mean my goodness i didn't start doing this stuff until i want to say my goodness it was um almost right around 13 years ago is when i started doing the stuff for clay shooting um and it started out with uh with Judy Morris, at uh, she was the manager of our uh, NSCA's uh, USA Sporting Clays team. Right. I, I have to be careful how they say it because somewhere along the way there was a, a you know they had to change the name because it conflicted with USA Shootings team, which I also do photography for and filming for. I'm currently contracted by USA Shooting to cover four of their world events, two of them being quota events. Um, the the world championships and the cat games and then I was at the was at their um, their selection match back in January where they select the team for for the, the competition team for the year and then I was also at Leonardo for the World Cup so it, uh, it it that that's been good but I got started with Judy Morris and and she hired me for one event the Grand Prix and it was at the um, South Florida shooting I think South Florida. What is the name of that club? It's South Florida yeah. Shooting Center?
0: Yeah. South Florida. Um, That's what they call it. And so,
1: <laughs> yeah. And so, um, so, anyways, that was the first event, Sporting Clays. I had never heard of it before. And I got hired to do that. And so, I'm like, okay, this is interesting. I'm, it's like golf with guns. This is kind of cool. Yeah. And I like to shoot. I'm not a competition shooter, but I, I grew up shooting guns, handguns, rifles. You know, I've always had guns. And so this was something that I've, I, I thought it was fascinating to me at the time to go do this and, and to go around these courses and see everybody shooting shotguns like this. And every year since then, it's just grown and grown and grown. Um, I've gotten commercial clients, you know, my commercial clients range. I, I, can't, I can't say specifically who I'm contracted with right now, but my clients have been, you know, Winchester Ammunition, uh, Federal Ammunition, Fiocchi, Agula. I've done stuff, you know, with Kriegoff, with Chromatic, uh, um, Beretta, you know, pretty much just about any any of the companies that you see at the National Shooting Complex um, in the stores there. I have probably done business with 90% of them at one point or another on the, the, on the advertising, commercial, still photography or video side of things. I do a lot of stuff with the clubs and doing you know, this past year. Um, Rick Hemingway hired me to, to come to the U.S. Open and do the photographs and make them available for everybody um, through through his website, but also to, to put together a video and do some other things. Um, so I, I've been working with, you know, different club owners at different times. I do a lot of work with Play Shooting USA, um, you know, all, you know, oh, since the U.S. Open, every event I've been to, um, has been put up on Play Shooting USA's Facebook page. There's a link there to a gallery of photos for each of those events. So the U.S. Open, the Georgia State, the uh, goodness, I'm trying to think of, uh, what did I go to after that? The Rope Task.
0: You went North Central uh, Regional too.
1: Yep, North Central, and then, and then I'll be at Southeast, and I was also at the Grand American. Um, so that, that's on, on trap shooting USA's, uh, Facebook page, but, but either way, it's just been one event after another this year, um, with very little downtime. (laughs) So yeah, to answer your question, yes, I'm on the road a lot. Um, and, and, and this sporting plays for me is a, in the, in the scheme of my career, it's a, you know, it's, it's a short time span and considering the time span I've been doing this, I've been doing this for 30 years. And uh, my my career really started in the underwater world. Um, I, I started filming television programming and doing underwater photography just out of college, and I was one of the few people that did a lot of the extreme diving. The you know we did the stuff that we were filming back then in the uh, in the late nineties was was stuff for that time was very. I don't. I don't want to say cutting edge, but it was there was a there was a group of people that that you know they liked to call us all cowboys. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, we were out doing the stuff that everybody said you couldn't do, and you're going to kill yourself. And and don't get me wrong, several of us have passed doing what we love to do. But but we were doing you know a lot of mixed gas diving on deep shipwrecks in the Great Lakes um, and discovering wrecks and diving wrecks in 300 foot of water, which which is is beyond your normal recreational diving most most divers will never see water deeper than 130 feet most now you've got a whole group of divers nowadays it's a lot more accessible than it was in the early 90s in the early 90s and diving mixed gas for a for a recreational diver was just that was unheard of um people just didn't do that so that gave me access to a lot of things a lot of caves a lot of shipwrecks a lot of things that i got to film that that people hadn't seen before on on television or anything else without using a remote operated vehicle. But in in the cave stuff, I mean, we would spend I don't know for three years in a row. I worked with Advanced Diver Magazine. The the owner Kurt Bowen is a really good friend of mine, and I would go on those expeditions and film them. We put together a a documentary to pitch to the uh, the History Channel and Discovery Channel and National Geographic to see if we could get a program because we were literally marching through the jungle in in the yucatan with local farmers or local guides that we'd hired and you'd stumble across a hole in the ground and you'd repel 85 feet down into this hole and you'd explore and there'd be cave systems attached to it and we found the one the one year alone we found three new species of life and we found seven archaeological sites and I, and and we explored, and when I say explored, we, we actually went into 160 different potential caves. They weren't all caves. A lot of them, you know, you go in, you go down, you look around and go, okay, there's nothing here, and you come back out and you move on. But there were several of them that, that went considerable distance, and we found skeletons and, and just all kinds of pottery, different things dating back to, to the Mayans when they were there thousands of years ago. So
0: that's cool. Um, yeah, that's we cool. put
1: that we put that whole thing together, and and they never bought into it. You know, each one of them—National Ge- Geographic, Discovery, and BBC—all kind of had the same answer. Well, we're more interested in reality television, and we're not doing you know the traditional documentary type filming. You know, we're not we're not really airing that type of stuff. We're not interested in that stuff right now. Yeah. So it's kind of funny when you grow up in the '80s and. When you think of things like MTV, you think music videos, and that's all they played then, and now you can't see a music video on MTV. Well, Discovery Channel and, and National Geographic used to be 100% documentary television, and and now they're not. <laughs> it's more reality TV than anything else. So as disappointing as that was, we've we've done a lot of different stuff, though, magazine-wise and filming-wise. A lot of that footage did end up on, on one of the caves that uh, that um, Advanced Diver Magazine discovered in one of the expeditions was uh, is called Cave of the Screaming Skull, and there were God, I want it was either nine or fourteen skeletons that were in that cave. And I've been in the cave. We've we've been all over that cave. Um, I've filmed all over in that cave. But uh, National Geographic came and did a special on that cave, and they worked with Enia, which is the Mexican Archaeological Society. And they pulled all the skeletons out and they studied them and, and, and carbon dated the skeletons. And the first time the Mexican government has ever been able to prove without, uh, without any question that they were actually sacrificing, the Mayans were actually sacrificing human, human beings by scalping them. And uh, so one of the skeletons actually had the knife marks in the skull where they they, they scalped them. Which I thought was absolutely fascinating. It was such a neat thing to be a part of all of that.
0: Yeah, for sure. What about the fish? I know you swam around with some big fish. What's what's the biggest fish you've been around?
1: (laughs) Oh goodness. The the I I would say that the largest fish that I've ever been in the water with is probably a twelve foot nine hundred pound sturgeon in the in the Columbia River. Um filming while we were filming outdoor America. I spent seventeen years field producing filming um, programming for the outdoor channel through Wolf Creek Productions. and uh, and that's probably the the heaviest, biggest fish. Now, there's been several times when I've been in the water with with large sharks, um, not that heavy, but um, I, I filmed a lot of stuff in the Bahamas with sharks. Uh, and so that was fun and dolphins and and all kinds of fun stuff there at all kinds of reef fish. But fishing, we we're filming Outdoor America. Um, and we spent, I can't even remember, we spent probably two weeks in Costa Rica offshore fishing and we filmed several programs while we were there. One of them, we ended up getting a golden moose award for, which is the, the best, um, underwater there, what I'm trying to remember, best fishing footage of the year for the outdoor channel. And I was in the water with sailfish and marlin and I was in the water with a, with a 600 pound black marlin that it was like, it was like sw- swimming when it came past me, it was like a Volkswagen swimming by with a three or four foot long sword off its nose. It was a, a real, a completely surreal experience. Yeah. You watch this thing come by and go, you have got to be kidding me. I mean, what am I doing in the water with this thing? Um, but the, the sailfish were always a, a tense thing because they swim 85 miles an hour and, I would get into water and the only instructions I had for the boat captain was don't let that fish get behind me. Um, because if, if the fish is swimming at 85 miles an hour and they're using 50 or 60 pound test line and that line's ripping through the water at 85 miles an hour, it'll cut me in half. So I have to be behind the fish, but man, the coolest, the coolest thing, piece of footage I think I've ever shot was out there. We, I, I had, we hadn't seen a fish We hadn't seen any sailfish in like four hours and we get into this pod of spinner dolphin and there were probably a couple thousand of them. They were everywhere you could see. And so we got out in front of the pod and I rolled off the back of the boat. They pulled all the lines in, rolled off the back of the boat, cleaned the camera off from the bubbles on the lens, turned around. I'm like, where'd all the, where'd all the dolphin go? That's weird. And I looked down and there are two sailfish 10 feet from me. Well, the mm-hmm. captain of the boats up in the flybridge, and he sees the sailfish and he sees me filming them and he has his crew. They've got these, these cast lines with, uh, you know, they've, they're, I can't, I can't remember that. I think they call them teaser lines, but they're, they've got hooks on them. So they, they, they cast out and I filmed the whole thing. They, this, I, I'm filming the one sailfish in it you see the, the teaser come down through the water column and you see that sailfish turn around and hit that teaser and they hook it up. And I filmed the entire fight all the way to landing the fish, measuring the fish and releasing the fish. They released it right in front of me. And I swam with that fish for three or four minutes after they released it. It was three feet from me. I was, you know, it was right there and you get close up pictures of his eyes and He swam with me and swam with me and swam with me. And finally he swam away. That was an experience as far as filming goes. Probably I've ever had is to have that. I mean, when you get to look into the eye of a fish like that and they look into your eyes and and you you make this connection, you swim with them. It's, it's the craziest experience.
0: Yeah. Um, I bet it is. I bet that's uh, weird.
1: Yeah, it was. It was. That was probably the coolest filming experience I've ever had in I I, I honestly, in the 30 years I've been doing this, I've never met anybody that's, that's captured from hookup to, to land and release in one, one, like 25 minute piece of footage. The entire thing was there. And it was, it was really cool because it's so hard to be in the water when they hook up because they're, they're pelagics. They're out there in the middle of the ocean swimming around, you know, you, you may get into hundreds of them. You may get into one or two a day. And mm-hmm. so you never know how it's, it's really hard to plan on being in the water when they actually hook up. Yeah. Um, so it was cool. It was a lot of fun. Um, that's probably the coolest one The you know, as far as the, the fish stuff goes, the, I think the scariest experience I ever had was we were filming in the Bahamas and we we're filming, um, we we're fishing for Dorado and tuna and we got onto a whole bunch of Dorado and, uh, I go in the water and I'm filming the, the fish ho- hooking up and, and, uh, and fighting and, and swimming past the camera and, and going up to the boat and getting landed. And, uh, you know, in a relatively short, and I say a relatively short and probably a 20 minute period of time, started seeing some bronze whaler sharks and bronze whalers are, are kind of like, they're kind of like piranha. They're not big sharks, just like piranha aren't big fish, but, when they start getting together in groups in large groups and schools of them, they get really dangerous. They, they will like literally eat human beings and they've been known to do that in groups. Um, so as I'm, as I'm filming them fishing and you've got fish fighting, which is just attracting more and more attention. It's, uh, (laughs) I'm looking around going, Oh boy, this doesn't, you know, this, I, I ought to get out of here. So I had a, a buddy of mine jump in the water with a broomstick. And he's like, I don't know what I'm going to do with the broomstick. I said, just if they get too close to me, just tap them with the broomstick. And he did. And, and it spooked the one off that was like right down my by my fins. And he's like, I can't believe that works. Well, that gave me enough, uh, I guess, um, courage to stay a little longer than I should have. And uh, <laughs> by the time we got out of the water, I didn't know if we were going to get out of the water safely because there was there was probably between 30 and 50 bronze whalers swimming around and we couldn't get a fish to the boat without having to get eaten by one of them. As far as like, you'd hook up a Dorado and, and they'd have it, they'd chomp it before, before we could get, get it up to the boat. So, you know, we climb out of the, out of, out of the water, onto the boat. And I'm just like, that was dicey. <laughs> it was, it was, it, it was, it was kind of a, kind of a, a real, you know, in, in hindsight, you look at it and go, yeah, I really should have got out of there about 10 or 15 minutes before I did. That's not going to happen again. I don't, I don't like that. It got, that was a real anxious few minutes transitioning from being in the water, getting back to the boat and getting out of the water, knowing that there was nobody behind you to watch your back. Cause they'd come up and nip at your fins. Yeah.
0: I'm out on that way out on that. <laughs> I, I like the, I like the work that you did with the Baja 1000 and the 500. That's, that's more, that's more me.
1: That's uh, I, I love racing. I love filming racing. IMSA racing. I've done some filming of IMSA racing for uh, for BMW North America. A friend of mine, he uh, he runs. Uh, I don't know if he runs it, but he's pretty high up in the M program with the with their their production race car. Um, you know, he took me for a, a test drive around Sebring in one of them, and it, it it's like a six or seven hundred horsepower BMW sedan, but. Uh, it, I got to go film Sebring for him and do a bunch of photographs and uh, and got a press pass. Man, being up close to those IMSA cars, unreal. Oh, Just so cool to be there and be be able to. Like I said, that the they call it a what do they call it a? Um, it's like a hot ride. I, I'm trying to remember what they call it, but they take you around. They put four of us in one of the cars and they take you on. A, they call it a hot lap in one of those production cars, and you're going 140 miles an hour in the straights and you come into the cur- curves at 120 miles an hour. It's, it, you get a real different perspective of race, race car driving when you have a race car driver driving you around the track, which, you know, me being, I I always laugh because I'm, I'm the non-hunter, non-professional shooter, shooter that's been to more events than any hunter that I know, or like I've been on more hunts than any hunter that I know. I've been on more, yeah, more big shoots than most shooters that I know. Yeah, and racing's kind of the same thing. I get to when I was filming the PSCA, I uh, I had the opportunity to spend some time with Willie Willie Ribs, who's who's become a friend of mine through Theo. But I met met uh, Willie back when he was still coming to the events and and doing doing events with Theo. And and since then he's been focused on his own they made a movie about him and some different stuff. So he's been focused on his stuff and Theo has been doing his thing. But for the PSCA, I got the opportunity to ride in a race car filming Willie from inside the race car on the F one track in, in Austin, the, the, um, what do they call that? The, uh, is it the mall of the Americas or the, I'm trying to remember what they call it, but the, I, I, I can't remember the actual name of the track. It's something of the Americas. And uh, and it's the only F1 track I believe that we have in the United States. So I got to go for a ride in this race car with Willie driving. And it was it was so cool. I got such cool footage of him driving that car. And he was totally in the zone. He, you can see the uh, – he was all fun and, and laughing and, and joking before we got in that race car. And it was all business. He got behind the wheel of that car, and it was like he flipped a switch. Um, but you know, race car,
0: circuit of the Americas,
1: circuit, yep. circuit of the Americas. Yep. That's it. thank you for that. (laughs) I was like, um, couldn't, I knew it was of the Americas and I know I could drive right to it, but it'd been a while since I've been there, but that was a really cool experience racing wise, where I've been able to, through my photography and filming, I've had the opportunity to do things that most people would never have the opportunity to do. And it's been a blessing, a huge blessing. I, it is absolutely my passion to do this stuff and capture it. I like getting, you know, just like them, getting in the water with the sharks or getting in the water, getting out in front of race cars. You're talking about the Baja. I'm sure you've probably seen some of the footage from Baja where I've got my camera down by the ground and I'm standing right behind my camera and, and, um, uh, Robbie Gordon comes by me in his Hummer, going about 130 miles an hour, three feet from my shoulder.
0: Yeah, um, and it.
1: all the stones hit the camera and everything else. It, it uh, I filmed that stuff. I'd get out. I do this stuff. Nobody else is willing to do, or just not crazy enough to do. Um, and shooting's the same thing. I mean, I'm the guy that tries to get the shots from in front of the shooters because those are the angles you don't see. You, know, you look around at everybody else out there shooting and filming, and that's the last angle that they're even considering getting. They're not going to get out in front of the shooters, and that's the first angle I'm looking for—is the stuff that they refuse to get. They're not willing to take the risk, and and I am.
0: <laughs> I'm surprised you hadn't been shot yet.
1: <laughs> I've been <laughs> shot more than most people know. Um, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times. I, this this here's here's another good story for you. Filming the PSCA tour. And I am sitting at we're we're at side by side ranch and Scott Robertson is a really good friend of mine love Scott to death and he's at that time he's the president of the PSCA and we're at his ranch and he's got he's got the PSCA course set up in front of the big main house and out in front of that there's two deer blinds that are like elevated metal deer blinds well they're outside of the the ring you know I don't I'd, For the PSCA, they kind of had like this ring of advertising that went around. So when you were filming, you always saw these banners. And with that being said, the the one deer blind was elevated by probably, I want to say probably 12 or 14 feet. It was up. So before the event ever went on, Scott and I had talked about it. I said, I'm going to go get in that deer blind. He's like, man, you got to be really careful. That's only about 80 yards out. I said, don't worry. I said, you got to set up. I said, none of the shots are in that direction. He's like, no, none of the shots are that direction. You just never know though. So nobody knows I'm out there. I go out there before the event takes off. I walk out there. I climb in there. I've got my big lens and I'm sitting in there and I'm filming with my 400 millimeter lens. So I'm, I'm right. It feels like from where I'm viewing from, it feels like you're standing, you know, 30, 40 feet in front of the shooter. Yeah. Um, And so I'm getting the shots I want. I'm right exactly where I want to be. And Annabelle Ayres steps up there. And I, you know, most people know who she is. Maybe people don't, you know, she is one of the top female shooters in the world. Um, you know, as far as, as far as competitive shooters, she's right up there. She can hold her own with just about anybody. And so she, she misses her first shot, you know, so she's coming across and, the shot's supposed to be kind of on the right half. So she's angling away from me um, and where she's supposed to be taking a shot. And so she starts shooting from the right and she swings across, takes her shot, misses the bird and she stays on that bird and stays on that bird and stays on that bird. And, that bird. and she pulls the trigger and she drills the target as I'm taking pictures of it and drills me in the process. <laughs>
0: that she, felt good
1: <laughs> she she, she, uh, she had no idea I was there. She's focused on the target she nobody knew I was there, but it, uh, the the picture I have is the target blowing up in the foreground of the picture like it looks like it's literally twenty feet in front of the lens. The target's just just inked out it. I mean just nothing but dust right in front of the lens. I'm thankful that I was just far enough away that it scared me more than it hurt because it is a metal shack. So it's like, it didn't really come into the shack. Some of it came into the shack. I got hit in the fingers a little bit and I, I got hit. Like, I think one got me in the neck a little bit and my lens got peppered, but I, you know, I'm behind the camera. So I've got, a have got a lens. That's a foot across that, that's pretty much taking up 90% of the hole that it's sticking in.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: But when it hit that metal building, it was like a bomb went off in there. It it scared the <laughs> hell out of me.
0: <laughs> did you get down?
1: <laughs> uh, no, no. I almost tipped over backwards in my chair. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. So you did a lot of a video for the or, or photos too for the PSCA, right?
1: I did. I did. Uh, for two years, I did a ton of uh, videography. I was kind of the. When, when Scott, you know, I worked with Wolf Creek Productions for years. And when when Scott kind of took over what was going on with the PSDA, Wolf Creek Productions, I talked to them and I talked to Scott. And we put a bid in, Wolf Creek Productions um, put a bid in to film it and they got the bid. So I was helping behind the scenes. I spent a lot of time talking to Scott about direction and camera angles and everything else. So I was somewhat field producing it for Two years, even though I really didn't have the title, nobody really had the title as field producer, but, but Wolf Creek Productions had never shot a sporting play event before they shot mostly hunting and fishing. So that was somewhat new to them. So we all worked together, even though nobody really had a title, we all worked together to make all of the filming happen. So once again, I kept on putting myself in the positions, none of the other camera, we weren't going to ask other camera people to put themselves in risky positions. But I was always the one out there getting in a risky position right. to get the shots and the filming and we had some just fantastic. we got some really, really good video. it was it was wonderful. I'm really proud of the work that we did when we we're all working together on that.
0: Yeah, you know we talk about the PSCA on here a lot and how it is no more. and a lot of people would like to see something like that come back. Since you're in this side of things, you know everybody's always said, well, they don't need to put it on TV, they need to put it on YouTube. Because it's free. Well, I have talked to you in the past about your idea of how something like this could come back and make it on TV, and I want you to kind of go over that a minute because I think it's pretty neat the idea that you have.
1: Yeah, and I and I've shared this with several people, and and I uh, I just I I need to say this up front um, before I even get started on that is that uh, I don't judge anybody, and I don't you know I'm not trying to say. Anybody involved with PSEA did the did the wrong thing for what they wanted to do. But my approach and my perspective on, on filming television programming is a little bit different um, because of my background. And I've worked with a lot of the production part of it. And in my opinion, if you want a television show to be successful, it, it, it pivots on having large advertising and in order to land large advertising, you have to be able to put a product out that is, that draws millions of people in. Mm-hmm. You're not going to draw, a, you're not going to draw general motors or Ford or any of these major companies in for advertising. If you're not reaching millions of people, right. um, if you're reaching 30,000 people, then, then they're not never going to spend the money on it. It just won't. It's um, not enough reach. So what in, in my opinion, what you what you need to do is look at this from a perspective of one it was always a goal of the PSCA was to grow the sport. Not just not just you know film film uh, competitive shooting, but grow the sport, draw interest into the sport. But when you look back at how everything was done the entire premise of the program spoke to the industry. It spoke to the people that already shot. It didn't really speak to anybody outside of the industry. Right. Um, So, you know, the people that might come and watch would look at it, and it's like somebody not being interested in bowling, watching professional bowling on television. You're not going to draw a big crowd outside of bowlers. That's right. Um, Nothing against bowling, but it's just the crowd outside of that. So in order to reach... Well, in order to get to the the volume of people you want to reach in order to get the advertisers that come along with that, from my perspective, you almost have to treat it in a very, very, and almost the polar opposite of how it was handled. And in that being, you ever been crab fishing?
0: Nope. I sure haven't.
1: Have any interest or or want to, to be a crab fisherman off Alaska?
0: (laughs) I have no desire. At all, I I watch it though. But
1: most people I know don't. (laughs) But just about everybody I know has watched The Deadliest Catch, and you know most people. It's The Deadliest Catch was a was a, a strange phenomenon because they became one of the most watched television programs in the world, and and none of the people that were watching it have any interest in crab fishing. But they come back for they people come back because they 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 have an attachment or an association with one of the characters typically, or one of the boats and the crew, or they're waiting for something bad to happen. Like, you know, this guy, this guy's going to kill himself. That boat's going to sink. That captain doesn't know what he's doing. He's going to, he's going to kill his whole crew. It, it just, there's, there's so many stories at play between the captains, between the crew members that people would come back because they're just either waiting for something ugly to happen or They really like, you know, Sig, the one boat captain, or they like this other boat captain and how he handled stuff. And, or this person was always like on everybody, and you're waiting for somebody to beat him up, going, Come on now, just just take his butt. Somebody just beat him up and throw him overboard. Um, But it wasn't for the crab fishing. But you've got millions and millions and millions of people watching it, and it's a crab fishing show. So, you know, my thought whole process with the whole thing and, and Scotty and I talked a lot about this and you know he, he's a purist. He really wants he loves the game of sporting plays. And he wanted the focus to be on the competition, and I get it. But my perspective is different, and that's looking for how are we going to get advertisers outside of the sporting play industry, outside of the shooting industry to buy into this. And to me, the only way is the same way they did it with the deadliest catch, is to Script, personalities. Instead of, instead of going out there and, and necessarily picking the best, just across the board, just the best shooters, the television program itself needed to be about the relationships of the shooters that have big personalities. The people that you know, they find drama. Somehow, they just find drama. No matter where they're at, no matter what's going on, drama seems to follow them around. So you hand select the people that you know are going to make good television without having to to create it. I don't want to. I don't want to script people to. Oh, you need to get in an argument with so and so, or that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about hand selecting the people that you know. Eventually, you're going to have it on film, and they're going to go off about something. It's just it, it's just going to happen. Um, and you then you hand select the other people, the the individual personalities that you want to represent the te- the shooting industry in this program and they become talent. They're not necessarily the best competitive shooters out there. Doesn't mean they won't be facing the best competitive shooters out there, but your storyline and your stories all need to come from that perspective of having this relationship where you can have inner stories that combine with the competition. 15 to 20% of that program should have been commercial not commercial, but but competition shooting. the rest of it should be about the relationships and the people and and what goes on behind the scenes and follow different storylines i had uh I had written a, a what we call in the business a treatment for a year of a relationship between two of the shooters, which would have been uh, Theo ribs and um and Ben Husway and I had filmed Theo. And done a lot of interviews with theo and i same thing with ben i I went over to england and spent time with him filming him teaching and everything else and i kind of hatched this idea because theo and ben always had this kind of fun relationship they would poke fun at each other they would rattle each other and and say stuff to try to get the other ones goat and they'd come back but it was always in good fun there was never any meanness to it or anything else it was just ribbon on each other and so i'm like okay while I was in uh, while I was in England, one of Ben's clients is, is a race car driver that also that also uh, owns the largest uh, supercar collection in Europe. Really super nice guy. Spent some time with them filming the two of them, filming Ben teaching him. I also have spent time with Theo and his dad and the two of them shooting together and and Willie's never competed. In the shotgun stuff, as a competitive shooter, he has fun shooting with Theo, but that's not his thing. So he's not one of these, you know, top end shooters on his end either. Um, So I wrote this whole treatment out of Theo and Ben ribbing each other and saying, "Oh, well, you think you're so good at at, at teaching? Um, I'm going to take my dad on as a client and and teach him how to shoot, and you take you find a client of yours that you teach how to shoot. We're going to have them compete in the uh, the uh, the finals at the PSCA finals, and we'll see who wins. Who's the better? Who's the better teacher? And then having Ben come back. Oh, really? Well, my best friend is your uh, one of my clients is a race car driver, and I'll tell you what. We'll do that, and then your dad's going to teach you how to race a race car, and I'm going to have my 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 client teach me how to run a race car here, and at the end of the season, you and I are going to duel it out at the circuit of the Americas and we'll see who's a better race car driver. And the thing is, when you create storylines like that, people will come back when you, you tie into the racing industry because in the racing industry, people will come in, go, do you hear Theo ribs? Kid is, you know, going to learn how to drive a race car and he's a professional shooter. And it draws it, it. It, it, I'm trying to think of the word, but I mean it literally, it, it organically draws people in, right? Because race car, the race car fans, you pull from that crowd, and they go, "Oh, I want to see what this, what, what this is all about." Yeah. So they, you know, in in you know, Willie's got the ability. Well, he's out doing his public appearances and stuff, and and in his interviews. He can talk about that, about his son doing this program and being a professional shooter, and to go check him out. So you've got ways to kind of promote it outside of the shooting industry. And so storylines, you've got things like that. You've got Bill McGuire with the professional bass fishing people. You've got, you know, Wendell Cherry being a country music person. There's so many general stories where you all you have to do is script a general idea and you tell the two shooters, this is kind of what we're thinking we want to do. You guys do it naturally, however you want to do it. We'll line up the the you know the track for you guys to race on you guys just communicate with us what you're doing on your end when willie's going to be with theo in a race car or ben when you're working with your guy in in england on racing that's all we need on the production end is to know when things are going on we don't need to we don't need to script what they're going to do or say during that time frame but you know if we've got a camera set up and Theo and Ben, neither one of them have ever been in a race car and driving on a course, you know they're gonna spin out more times than you can count. Right. And you know there's gonna be natural drama in there. Can you imagine going from them being on the, you know, on you know, finishing up an episode and they're shooting, they get done, and and you show Theo shooting and you snap to come back next week for the PSDA championship and and see how Theo's doing on the and snap to that and show a car spinning on the on a race course.
0: Yeah, that'd be me.
1: People are going to come back. They want to know what happened. Did he actually crash? Did he just spin out? What happened?
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: That's how TV's made, and that's how you draw advertisers from outside of shooting into it. Now, the PSCA was fantastic. It drew every, you know, pretty much everybody in the shooting industry supported it, which was great, but we didn't get any money from outside of that. And in order for it to be effective as a television show, you can't have one or two individuals putting all of the cash in and losing money every year and expect them to stick around. Yeah, yeah. You know, the the shooting industry as a whole can't support the budget that's required to film one PGA event. And I use PGA because, once again, golf is one of those things, you know a lot of people that do it, but how many pro golfers do you know? Personally, I only know one. I don't know any. I, You know, I've I've met one and I've become friends with them. Other than that, I don't know. You know, most people have never even met a professional golfer. Yeah. But they spend millions and millions of dollars to put on the, the U.S. Open PGA tour event or any one of the PGA Tour events. They've got 50 cameras on site. They've got a satellite truck. They've got cameras, you know, slow motion cameras, cameras that are designed to follow the golf ball in the air they've got the production alone cost of absolute fortune and they get all the advertising to cover it. Mm-hmm. They got millions of viewers. So are you, you s- can get advertising like that.
0: Are you saying that you, so the best shooters aren't necessarily the ones that would be right for this show. It's, it could be the, one of the worst shooters. Well,
1: you, lo- tell, you tell me, you tell me, and I'm not being a smart ass. I'm just literally personality wise. Yeah. Entertainment wise, are our best shooters the most entertaining people?
0: Well, no, no. Or
1: no. Are, are some of your random people that shoot that do some of the dumbest things? And you look at them, go, are you kidding me? Or they say something, or they're just. Do we have professional shooters that are that? Yes, we do. But are all of them that? No. We want to go out there and hand select our entertainment because at the end of the day, the program is supposed to entertain people and bring people in and show how much fun the sport can be. And if we can get that message out to people outside of shooting industry, that's where you that's where you grow the sport. That's where you actually start to bring pe- new people into the sport. Is expose them through something that they don't intend they didn't intend to become a fan. It just happened because it was entertaining and went, "Man, I got to try that. These guys are crazy. This looks like fun." And, and so from my perspective, yeah, you hand-select your entertainers and you intermingle them with the professionals. But the program, 80% of the program becomes about the relationships and about your entertainers because they're the ones that are capable of, like, literally the way they conduct themselves is a natural. I mean, can you imagine putting one of our, one of our people that you know is a hothead Next to one of our people that you know runs their mouth constantly, yeah, that'd be neat, you know what's going to happen. You don't have to script it. you just know what's going hey, you know what for this for this shoot off, we're going to put so and so and so and so together. you know you know you got it, because you've got the whole gamut, you've got somebody like Bill McGuire that would never open his mouth to anybody or say anything rude or anything else he's the the he's the gentleman you know he's the southern gentleman of shooting. Um, and then you've got, you've got other people that are just constantly in the, you know, there's constantly drama following around and you, you have them shooting off and you know, they're going to run your, run their mouth at Bill. And, and you, you'll be able to, you know, just film it and watch the look on Bill's face as he's trying to keep his mouth shut. He's trying to be at one point or another, Bill's going to say something. (laughs) He, He won't be able to stop himself. And I love Bill to death. I've spent a lot of time with Bill, but. It's it's a natural. Anybody that's that gets along with everybody. If somebody ribs them enough, they you finally they get enough. Or, and, and, and I'm only using that as an example. You you can twist that any way you want when you when you pick the right group of personalities. There's always going to be a natural. You know, you're going to have two people up there. Like using Scott Robertson as an example. He's always having fun poking fun at everybody dancing around he's always got his music playing you put two guys like that up there and just goofing off and having fun and oh man i miss that oh that sucks oh well whatever and you know you mix those in with people there's there's always personalities if you choose the right personalities and once again you mix them in with the guys that are super competitive that are our pros that that you wouldn't necessarily ask in to be part of the the entertainment factor of it, but they're still there and they're good shooters and you don't want to lose them. You intermingle them with all of the these characters and you just you get a, a good mix where people are going to come back because they don't know what's going to happen next. And when you start grabbing substories outside of the shooting and you know when I when I was doing the PSCA stuff, my goal was to go film like I filmed Desiree in Alaska. And we went to the club she started shooting at and we went fishing. She and Zach we went out onto the oh goodness, we were on the Russian River and we went up into, into Denali Park and filmed on a river up there. We went jet boating back into this river and yeah, there the 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 guy that owned the boat you know, he he opens the seat up, we get where we're going, he opens his seat up and he hands each one of us an AR and he says, just in case. And 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 you're looking at him going, What's that supposed to mean? He goes, No, seriously, <laughs> if a, a grizzly bear comes out and he wants that fish worse than you. Leave the fish and get away from him. And if he still comes at you, you got to do something. <laughs> yeah. So we all fish with yeah. ARs over our shoulders the entire time. <laughs> it was. It was the point being is it, it's always an adventure of some type or another. And these shooters have adventurous lives outside of the shooting, and and drawing people in with all of that. There are different ways to do it. You go profile somebody and spend time with them doing stuff like that. Once again, your viewers are going to have a relationship with the the people on the program whether they want to or not they're either going to love them or they're going to hate them and they're going to want to see them fail or they're going to want to see them succeed and so that's that's where you get like i said all of these people from outside the shooting industry to me to show it in a fun safe manner where everybody's enjoying it and and you've got some natural drama going on whether it be with race cars or you know, bill out on the river fishing and and, and having somebody else fishing and, and them competing against each other for bass or whatever. You can create so many little side stories that pull people from outside of the industry in.
0: Yeah, I like the idea for sure. Now, would the talent get um, paid? Is that a way for them to make money?
1: Well, that that is what you hope eventually to be at is where everybody should get paid. The producers should get paid the... The the problem is, is you've got to get over that hump. If you do the right programming and go to the right network, they'll find the advertisers for you if it's a solid platform that you can work with. Or you've got to do, like what the PSCA had to do is they had to go out and they bought the airtime. They had to reach out and get all the advertisers. Well, if you've got to do that and you're not getting at least a million viewers, you're not going to land any of these big advertisers outside of the shooting industry. And and you're not gonna get the viewership that you need. I'm trying to remember. I wanna say that uh I wanna say the best program and I, I, I shouldn't even be saying this because I can't remember the exact numbers, but that viewership never got for the PSCA much over about twenty thousand. And and I don't want anybody to hold me to that number, but it was not what you would think it should be. And that was based on Nielsen ratings. They never got over a certain threshold of numbers. And when you look at those numbers, you realize real quickly why they didn't get any big advertisers because they weren't getting the reach. Now, if the Nielsen ratings would have come out and they would have had 600,000 after the first year, now you start opening eyeballs. Now you start being able to go to somebody and look, we've got their first season out. We've got 600,000 eyeballs on this program and we're getting stronger every single program we're getting more and more viewers yeah. now you've got something to go sell to these advertisers but if you if you're only looking at numbers you know even less than 40 or 50,000 the big advertisers it's not worth their money they're not going to spend it <laughs> and so you know to to have the gift of having a couple of individuals invest the amount of money that they invested into all of this to create the psca to make it all happen yeah i almost have to have that to start with if you're going to go out and sell your own advertising but you have to approach it from a business perspective and not from a competition perspective because you you lose the ability to reach viewership if you if you approach it strictly in a in a you know passionate about my sport and this is a hundred percent pure sporting plays and we're going to film this and then and and tell the story of these professional shooters and their stories and you don't focus on any kind of entertainment it's we don't have enough people in this industry to organ, organically grow it with that outside of the industry
0: yeah i like that idea for sure and i'm sure somebody out there would be interested in getting getting it going you know
1: I hope they do. I mean, there's, and like I said, I am not, you, you could introduce as you went, as you got a following, as you got a viewership, you could down the road, do it the way they wanted to do the PSCA tour, mm-hmm. which is have it be the best of the best. But to me, for a TV show specifically, to be able to grow it outside of the industry, it's gotta be entertaining to people. Like I said, I mean, a perfect example is, is Deadliest Catch. And, and a, Nobody was interested in crab fishing. They were more way more interested in what was gonna happen and who was gonna get in a fight with who and you know, all of the drama that went on. And like I said, a lot of that just happens naturally.
0: <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know that anyone ever cared how many crabs I caught.
1: No, I know. I you know? <laughs> nobody that I know ever cared about yeah. I knew people that love particular captains or particular crews or came back just to, because they knew that this particular crew was all absolutely they they knew something bad was gonna happen because the crew was that you know, they're just waiting for somebody to do something stupid, yeah, and they were full of you know <laughs> they had particular crews that had had people on them that that you just knew was gonna they were gonna do something dumb and something bad was gonna happen mm-hmm. um and and shooting's the same thing and not not on the life threatening side of things, but more on the there are you know that there are certain people out there that you give them two or three events and things are tight or pressures high. They're going to do something stupid. You just know they're going to do it. And there's just no getting around it. They're going to run their mouth. They're going to do something stupid. Somebody's going to lose their temper. And and it's not, you know, once again, it's not about dying, which that was one of the draws with, with deadliest catch was, is somebody going to drown today? Is somebody going to get washed off the deck because they're doing something stupid here it's the drama of the arguments and who's going to win, you know, there's big money on the line and and things like that. But it, that you, you, you script in with the storylines with these people's lives that are natural, the racing thing with Theo, the racing thing with Ben, that's a natural, natural occurring thing without the television show. They're still doing that stuff. Um, You know, the fishing with, with Bill McGuire, the, yeah, you know, I, I mean, heck! So many of them have interests in racing. So many of them have interests in fishing. So ma- there are so many people that they do the offshore fishing. You get in a you get Bill McGuire arguing with somebody. Several of the I'm trying to think of some of the Florida guys that that do a lot of offshore fishing or you know, ocean fishing. Hey, you get Bill McGuire and one of them in an argument over what what's better, you know, river river and bass fishing or saltwater fishing, and you know you play that off each other. It, it just, there's so many interesting things that you can draw people from outside of the industry in that you just have to, you've got to sit down and think about it and, and create it and, and then build the, build the crew that you want to do it with.
0: That's a great idea. I like it for sure. I know i have mean, said that a few times, when, but when, I, I like it.
1: When, uh, when you think about some of the more successful shows that you see out there right now, I don't know if you've ever seen a program called mountain men. It's either on Discovery or um, the History Channel or one of those. But the general concept is the same thing. A buddy of mine produces that. And you know, he and I have had conversations about all of this. And he's, he's a fantastic producer. He's been doing it forever for, for a lot of the big networks. And that's the stuff that they do. It's the same thing. It's stories. You're following different people in their lives. And eventually their lives come into contact with each other, with, which with the PSCA, it's the actual competitions is where these people actually come into contact with each other. But their lives are dramatic outside of that. And, you know, there's your storyline. You just pull them together and create storylines out of that and make sure you've got enough to to fill a program or fill a a season.
0: I was going to say, you're one of the only photographers in the sport. You're not the only one, but you're one of the only ones. And the photos that we see online are, you know, yours or someone else's. Where can we see all your work published, including some videos that you've done?
1: Well, you can go to my website. Um, and there are links on my website. My website needs some work, but if you go to the links, I have smug mug links on my website and I also have links to my video stuff, which is also on YouTube. Um, there's a bunch of my video stuff on YouTube. Some of my Baja racing, some of the underwater stuff. Um, I, I'm, I'm trying to remember how much the shooting stuff is out on, on the video side. Um, but my website is is liquid image inc so l-i-q-u-i-d-i-m-a-g-e-i-n-c.com uh there's links to all of it there we'll put Um, all that in the show notes like i said okay no problem and then also you can go to my youtube page or you can link to my youtube page from my website both if you just search out myself or liquid image inc you'll find me on youtube um so that's where you can go for a lot of that stuff. And, uh, and other than that, if you go to, for the, for shooting events and the stuff that I've been covering in the shooting industry, um, Stacey Stevens at Clay Shooting USA and Trap Shooting USA is posting links to my Smug Mug galleries from each of the events that I've been to. So after an event, you will see a posting on, on their Facebook pages. So if you go to Clay Shooting USA's Facebook page after like, right after the U S open within three days, we had that gallery up and available. You could click the link on their Facebook page and it would take you to my smug mug gallery, which had almost 2000 photographs in it from the event. Um, We also had Rick Hemingway help putting that out there also. um, As far as he had brought me in to take pictures for the club. So they had a link on the club page. Also big red Oak has done the same thing with the Georgia state Um, for the North central regional. They actually, they reached out to, to uh to score uh was it score chaser and um and they uh score chaser sent a text out with a link
0: to everybody that. that that that
1: attended the north central so there was a link to that so you can go see those that's another way that you can get access to the galleries we're trying to through the magazines we're trying to promote that so people so many of my images don't get seen by anybody because i'm being paid to be there for somebody else and they're not they're not they don't want to just give it to everybody if you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. but we've we found a way around that working with the clubs and working with uh with the magazines to to really make all of that accessible to everybody out there
0: most of the photos that you take you like you said you're doing it for some companies so they're, they're they've hired you to go out there or you've got all the the we call them pro shooters the guys that are always at the top they're always getting their picture made yep. what if you just have the old regular guys out here that want their picture taken what do they have to do to get your attention
1: First of all, I would highly suggest they do what a lot of people in sporting plays forget to do when they're at these big tournaments. Look like you're having fun. Go out there and have a good time. Smile. Slap five. Enjoy yourself. Have fun. Because that, as a photographer, besides the the professional shooters that I have to get, when I'm driving around the course, if I see a, a squad that's having a good time, I'll stop and take pictures of them. Because those are the inviting pictures we like to have in the magazines. Those are the inviting pictures for me as a photographer. I want to capture their cover material. As much as any one of these pro shooters is cover material for any particular event, the people that turn around after they shoot their first, they shoot, they they straight their first station. And they turn around and they're dancing around, jumping up and down, and they're just super excited and everybody's excited for them. That's the stuff that I love catching for the magazine because when you show the cover of a magazine, and that's what you see that speaks to everybody that these guys are having a great time. I know out there on the courses during a major event, everybody's super serious because they want to win. I get it. But there are so many people that know they're probably never going to win. Just have fun with it. I mean, turn around, have a good time. And that's the stuff that you want to be in a magazine. You want to, you want to get my attention as a photographer, wave at me, put your arms around your buddy standing next to you, wave, give me a thumbs up, point at me, whatever get my attention. So I know that you guys are having a good time and I can get pictures of you guys having a good time. That would be my first, you know, that that really, that's about the best way to get my attention as a photographer, rather than coming up to me and asking me, can you take my picture?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Which you'll do that too.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. No, and, and I got no problem taking the pictures. I'm just saying outside of like literally approaching me and asking me to take a picture. Yeah. If you see me out there and you're shooting, that always always gets my attention, and the only time it doesn't is if I have to be to a particular squad at a particular time so I can get one of my, one of my shooters that's sponsored by one of my clients. Um, outside of that, I'm usually wandering around the courses taking pictures of just about anybody.
0: I appreciate your time coming on. I appreciate you going over all this stuff. You got an interesting story. I mean I've never talked to someone that dove 300 foot and swam around with sailfish and, and marlin and sharks. I mean it's, that's pretty interesting. <laughs> you know, and to go from that and, to shoot uh, and and traveling to over 50 countries. I mean, that's crazy.
1: Yep. So. It's, uh, I love to travel. I, uh, I'm, I'm one of those guys that rents a car and just goes, I get overseas and they can't, you know, I get an event gets done and I stay another week just photographing the countries around it.
0: Well, I know you're gonna be at the Southeast regional. I may or may not be there. I hadn't really decided yet, but if I am, I know I'll see you there. And, and like I said, thank you for coming on and sharing your story and
1: well, thank you for inviting me to be here. I mean, it was, uh, you know, it's an honor to be asked to participate in this. And, uh, I know we've known each other for years and, and, you know, I see each other out on the courses, but, uh, that's just something I don't, uh, normally I, I'm the guy that stays behind the camera and I, I don't, I'm not seeking, uh, attention. So it's, it's kind of nice to, to talk about some of the stuff that I do because I love what I do. So I really appreciate it. I look forward to potentially seeing you at uh, at the Southeast. And if not, I will definitely see you at Nationals. And I hope you have a fantastic day.
0: All right. You too. Thanks, Thaddeus. I appreciate your time.